Apply that to a life situation. So I'm getting up in the morning. I'm realizing, oh my, my room's a mess. But I don't. But I don't do anything about it. And then I go out outside because and try room, to fix the and try to clean the house. That's ridiculous. Because the thing is, your house. You're saying, oh well, my. You're looking at all the other rooms in the house, and you're saying, oh well, my room's the cleanest, so it's okay. But that's not the standard in which we judge what is good and what is bad. If we judge our room's cleanliness based off of the rooms around us, we're just going to be beholden to the culture and beholden to the world. And Jesus said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. So if your room is dirty and you're claiming that it's clean because it is clean compared to the house, you are a son of the devil. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Sam Neely. I'm Hunter Young. And we are the Sons of Liberty. That was nice. Yeah, we've been off. Beautiful. Today we are what are we talking about, Hunter? Um, we're gonna try to keep the focus the main focus, the meat of the video is gonna be on separation of church and state. We're gonna try to keep it there, but we're gonna go down a bunch of different rabbit holes because that's who we are and we can't talk about the separation of church and state for two hours. It's true. So we're gonna bring it we're gonna start with that. We're gonna try to lay out a foundation for what that actually means, and then we're gonna we're going to go through it, go through some different topics related to it. Dude, that's good. That's good. That's good stuff. All right, dude, let's, we got to define our terms. You always want to do that. If you go in Socratic method style, it's always good when you're having a conversation to define terms. You probably get a pen out. Uh, dude, you stole my pen. Well, that's a pencil. I got a pencil. Whatever. It's the same difference. You get your paper. I got my paper. Categories matter. Okay. <laughs> so one thing I learned in homeschooling doing classical methods, style of Socratic dialogue, and you have communication, is that so a lot of times in conversations, people actually agree with each other. They just don't realize it because they have different definitions Semantics. of the same words. So when we talk today, we're going to be talking about separation of church and state. There's a lot of buzzwords. What is separation? What is church? What does state mean? What do we mean by state? Do we mean country? Do we mean the actual state like Massachusetts or Vermont? Um, separation, what, what, what exactly do we mean by that? Uh, constitution, what what are we talking about? What do we about? mean by separation? That's, I just said that. Oh, you did. I wasn't listening. <laughs> My bad. Okay. So we want to define terms. Um, government, that's another That's another big one. What What is the difference between state government and federal government? What are their different roles? We, on, we don't have all the answers, but we're going to do our best to break this down because as Christians and as conservatives, we have a, I think there's a disagreement in the, we, we want to, we want to address this issue because I think there's a different disagreement within that wing of the Republican Party of Christian conservatives. There, there's a faction forming. One side says um, we we uh, more. It's a more of a libertarian mm-hmm. perspective, whereas the other side is more theocratic. It's like where is the line between legislating morality and letting people be free because we live right. in a free country. Yeah. So I think those are the two factions that are forming within the conservative. The Christian Conservative uh, Caucus, if you will, of the Republican Party, to use a very political term. So that I think it came out of it's out of that that we wanted to address this topic. So, uh, do you want to define terms? Sure, sure. We can. So we'll go to the, the First Amendment. What what people mostly get the the idea of separation of church and state comes from the First Amendment. So we'll just read it. The First Amendment says, "Congress shall make no law." Respecting the establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So, 
the res- respecting the establishment of religion is the big thing where people say, oh yeah, separation of church and state. So, I would say defining just the term as a whole, and then we'll break it down. Separation of church and state simply means constitutionally that there can be no established church at the national level okay, in Congress. So, so established as in like a state religion, like a building? A denomination. A denomination. Yes, yeah, so okay. a state denomination because that's what it was in, um, in England. I'm pretty sure that's how the Anglican church was formed was by the government. Mm-hmm. If um, You could fact check me there yeah. if you want. But um, that was the, the purpose of the founders writing this is because they didn't want to have the whole reason why they left Great Britain was to have religious liberty. Like, if it was anything else, it was religious liberty was the core of them leaving. They wanted to worship God as they saw fit from reading the Bible, not from a set of doctrines that a bunch of men decided and came up with and enforced and agreed to. Because that's what it was. Religious persecution was the big issue for leaving Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Church And of that's England. what separates us from every other country. Yeah, the Church of England, uh, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, they did found um, the Anglican Church in the, was it, 3rd century? No, no, no. That's, that's early. <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. 13th? 13th, whenever that was. Because yeah. it was, it prompted the, the pilgrims to leave, so. Yeah. It is, it's not in the Constitution. But that term, separation of church and state, is not in the Constitution. But you said that separation of church and state is... Is implied. Is implied. I disagree. You disagree. I disagree. I don't think it's... Obviously, there's no denomination. There's no state denomination. There's, there shouldn't be a, a state denomination. But I, I tend to be more on the, the theocratic side of the of the Christian conservative uh, uh, a faction or whatever you want to call it. Like, we should be legislating morality to a certain extent. Right, but that, that's my point, is, is that's not what separation of church and state means. It's not that you can't legislate morality. It's not that you can't have Christian principles. It's not that you can't have even the Ten Commandments as a law. All that it's saying is, is about the worship of God can't be corporatized at the federal government level. But some people would say that that in itself is making a certain denomination. Like, the fact that you're even making certain beliefs law is well, in itself a combination yeah. of the church and state is a, is a marriage of the church and, and the state that's a good point but the thing is your every law is based off of someone's set of morality so like religion at its most basic definition is a set of beliefs so someone's religion is going to be the foundation for law in the country and the thing is the the constitution rests upon the law of god it rests upon the bible the declaration of independence says that we hold these truths to be self, self-evident. self All men are created equal. Yeah, and then it says endowed by their creator. Yep. So the Constitution rests on the Declaration of Independence, which says that we are given our rights by, by, by a creator. the creator. Okay. So you can't have, you, there's this idea that religion doesn't play a part in politics. It's somebody's religion, and whether it's climate religion, you see climate religion now, you see all different ideas of religion that are playing out in the laws and Christians have take, taken a step back because they believe that oh well it's not our, our role to legislate Christianity. Do you think those are liberal imposters within the Christian community who are saying that and who have influenced everybody else to believe that that is how to be a good Christian is by staying out of politics? Did you say, did you say liberal imposters? 
Yeah, liberal <laughs> imposters in the Christian church. I don't know. I think it's maybe a little bit of that and also just ignorance of what the, the Constitution actually says. Okay. Um, and what it actually means. Because um, you look at the most basic, I mean, the reason why we were able to outlaw slavery and outlaw all of these things was because of Christian morality. And the reason why we were even able to have the, they appealed, the founders appealed to God when they wrote all these documents going against Great Britain. They, it was a fundamentally a religious war. The Revolutionary War was basically a religious war because they were fighting back against the king of Great Britain who said that whatever he says is law. And he was claiming that God instituted him. And the, the, the founders said, no, God's government looks like this, looks like a republic, looks like a constitutional republic. And so and that's what the constitution rests upon, that idea that the king is not law, the law is king. Oh, what's it called? Rex, um... Rex Lex versus Lex Rex. Yeah, that's yeah. very interesting history. So, the idea that you shouldn't read into the First Amendment too much, basically, in saying okay. respecting the establishment of religion. Okay. It's not... It's 100% not saying that you can't have laws based off of Christianity, or else the whole document wouldn't make any sense at all. So, how would you talk to a conservative... Okay, let's... let's, let's back let's it up. Back it up a little yeah. bit. Libertarians. How do you talk to a libertarian about this? Who say America is a free country, like free speech, uh, do whatever you want. How, as conservatives, do we actually respond to that? I think the ma- the how we respond is we say, well, you draw the line somewhere. You draw the line. The, some libertarians would say, oh, well, if you're not hurting anybody, you can do whatever you want. Is their kind of mm-hmm. shtick, their their motto. Yeah. But the the question is, is at what point are you hurting somebody? And who is somebody? If you're hurting yourself... That's true. Yeah, you can hurt yourself. And by your own sin, you hurt other people. Exactly. Yeah. And you hurt... Well, if we believe God is a person, you hurt God. Yeah. Too, we grieve the sin. Holy Spirit. We grieve yeah. the Holy Spirit. So, what I would say is that you have some... No one's neutral. Like, libertarians, you have some set of morality, things that you believe are right and wrong. And if you don't believe that people's ideas of right or wrong are going to affect laws that are put into place that's a little bit naive so um i would say that we have to raise up we have to say libertarianism is a kind of idea of a utopia almost it's impossible for everyone to just be able to do whatever they want without stepping on someone else's mm-hmm. feet because we live in a public world humans are public creatures nothing we do unless you're literally out in the woods isolated your kids are going to see the things How that people act. are doing. Yeah. yeah, the morality, the way you live. Yeah. And the role of government is to uphold what is good yeah. and to punish what is bad. And the live and let live mentality has led, has kind of owned the Republican Party for decades, and it has led to where we are today. Right. When you say live and let live, then the left takes over. They take ground because yeah. we get lazy well, the, and if, we give up. If you leave out God... In your politics, in your legislation, you leave out God's morality. God's going to punish wicked deeds by, like, you reap what you sow. Yeah. If you're sowing immorality, the culture is going to be immoral. And as the, as the government, the government's going to have to deal with that in one way or another. You're seeing that now with things like, like welfare 
and things like this and trying to take care of the poor and try to take care of um, people who aren't responsible with their money and can't take care of themselves and people who don't take care of their family, that's a moral issue. If the churches and people who are moral said, hey, no, uh, this old, old lady in the community can't take care of herself, we're going to take her in. That's a moral issue. So the government is has welfare out of a moral issue. So, and that that affects everyone. So you can't just say, oh, well, oh, well live and let live. Oh, I don't, I, I choose not to work. I choose not to work. But that affects other that people. That affects other people. Yeah. So, because you become a burden mm-hmm. to society. Yeah. My, uh, my girlfriend and I went to an event in New Hampshire recently where they have a organization that it's their mission to uh, have pastor bring pastors and politicians together for prayer meetings mm-hmm. and they're having like a uh, a, uh, a pastor's meeting uh, an annual pastor's meeting and um, uh, Neil the organizer invited me because we both did an event with Chloe Cole and he wanted me to be there and you know see it and be encouraged by it and it was really really cool they had a, a sister organization that does the same thing in Ohio mm-hmm. um, they, he, they the, the leader of that one in I'm sorry Iowa in Iowa he, he came and he spoke and he was talking about how the governor of Iowa, who is a Christian, she, during COVID, they never shut down any of their churches mm. and they didn't increase, uh, they didn't go insane with the, with the spending in the government. Instead, what she did as governor, she asked the church to run the food drive for the entire state of Iowa. Wow. So the church was helping all of the people who couldn't do work was instituted by the government for a time to help those who could not, who didn't, who were out of work, um, who, who had, who were sick because of COVID. Uh, and the church became the support. It, it didn't increase spending. It, they didn't add a program to the government. Yeah. Like I'm sure many other states did and the federal government probably did. Like it did. We didn't, they didn't spend $2 trillion on stimulus checks. Yeah. The church stepped up and they stepped into their role of providing for the poor, living out the gospel, living out the, uh, using the feet of the gospel, which is to care for the widows and orphans. And that's exactly what they did. Right. And then it went so well that the governor asked that, that man who was speaking to uh, uh, him and his wife to officially run the food pantry through the church of the entire state of Iowa. So now they're doing it uh, indefinitely. If we're at the the base, basically, if people go to the government, be like, We're, we need help or whatever, they just direct them to the church right. of Jesus Christ. Like, that is how it should be done. That is textbook how it should be done. Right. And, I, like, the thing is, I agree with, I mean, I used to be an anarchist, so I still have some remnants of libertarianism in my beliefs. Like, I agree with libertarians that those laws shouldn't be top-down enforced by, the, by Congress, by the president, by... The Supreme Court, like I agree with that's and that's the what the founders said that these laws, these laws that are are very um, get into the nitty gritty that affects people's lives personally, they shouldn't be done at, at a national scale. They should be done at, at local levels. Like there are certain like towns, there are certain towns that still have what is it, um, the laws against like alcohol selling alcohol. There's some towns that still have laws against selling alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a, a town can do. Yeah. But when you try to do it at a top-down level, like they tried to, what was it, the 
the, the prohibition. Yeah, the prohibition the, the, amendment. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't work. So I think that that's the, the Because idea. it doesn't refle- accurately reflect the will of the people. You might argue, like for the prohibition, that always confused me. I was like, oh, why are we against that? I thought it's bad for people to get drunk all the time. But it it addressed the problem in the wrong way. Exactly. Completely wrong way. Yeah. It was a top-down. I know you're just using that as an example. But it's, no, it's it is, good. But yeah. it, it was a top-down amendment. That didn't reflect the will of the people. That's why the people revolted, and it's that's why it's the only amendment that's ever been overturned in yeah. American history. Yeah, and I think that's the whole idea of, of what the founders were getting at with not establishing a one church and a one religion for the nation as a whole. Because if we are a Christian nation, it's going to be natural. It's going to happen regardless of whether the government institutes it or not. Like because Jesus does the work in the heart individually, so. You don't need the government to tell you to be religious. You that hap, that can't happen. Like it'll just be fake. It'll just be, it, it won't be a real religion. Like you won't actually believe yeah. in that religion, and you'll actually tend to rebel against it even more. Now, what if the people pass a law that says the government should have? Like, what if it gets to the point where the people want a state church? Like they that can't want... happen because you can't you can't go against the constitution. But there are so many things that go against the Constitution. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That, well, that's, that's the issue is that um, we're not a democracy. We're a republic, so we're not mob rule. So if the majority of people decide something... It doesn't. But that's only on, for the president. What do you mean? Like, the only time in every other election, I'm pretty sure, 51%, like... Yeah, they, it, that, yeah, that elects representatives, but we don't vote for things directly. We don't vote for specific laws directly. Because the thing is, that's why when, like, um, we're a republic, so we're a representative democracy. Um, this is one of the things I think I was talking to you about this on the phone. Representatives are always say, oh, I'm here to, like, represent you. I'm here to represent the people. But you won't ever hear them say, I'm here to represent the Constitution. Some of them will say it. Mm-hmm. But they'll say, oh, whatever you guys want is what I'm doing. That's not the idea that the founders had. The idea was that the Constitution is what restricts government. And the Constitution is the framework for which you make laws. So if the people say to do something that's unconstitutional, you have to choose the Constitution over the people in that instance. And it might lose you votes. It might lose you an election. But if you were actually a man of integrity or a woman of integrity, you would go by the Constitution because the Constitution is the law of the land. And you took an oath to that as a representative. And this is, again, bottom up. The people, if the people agree about religion, about Christianity, it's going to play out in the culture without a law being needed. You don't even need to pass a law because people are going to be so moral that it doesn't matter. Yep. So that's how you would address alcoholism. Yeah. It's not by law. It's by the church discipling people. Yeah, or in church discipline and saying you can't be a pastor if you're a drunk. Or had an affair with you know had cheated on your wife you know yeah which is that's a whole another issue in our <laughs> modern church yeah. that we could get Talk into about. yeah the the lack of church discipline yeah yeah how how does this play out in new england how do because we live in such a like we're we're, we're just a, such a, a liberal hellscape shoved up into the corner of the country that people have forgotten it, that people have forgotten about but like we found this geographical area founded the country like how do we get people to understand that we as Christian conservatives actually have a role to play, even if we live in New England. 
Like we're in Massachusetts, we're we're trying to represent New England to right. the rest of the country here. Like we're not there is a there is a powerful remnant. So how do we take these principles of of church and of of state are both are both our spiritual beliefs and our mm. political beliefs? Yeah, this is and how do we accurately how do we successfully bring them together and present it to the community? Do yeah. we only because we know you know Andrew Breitbart said. Politics is downstream from culture. We know the political change will happen f- long after the change in individual people's hearts occurs. So do we just forget the politics for now and just preach Jesus until there are enough Christians that it will naturally mm. cause a political change? Or Because I, part of me wishes we could do that, but we're losing ground politically so fast in New England. The left is is just destroying us. And frankly, a lot of Republicans are being are spineless in New mm-hmm. England. Soft. They're soft. They're the rhino, whatever you want to call it. They're the Trump. They're soft. Yeah. They're Trump. <laughs> so, or, because, or do we need to have a mix of both so that we don't completely lose hope in the political sphere? Like, how do we well, take back New England? It's definitely both and. Is, is what we need to do is pastors need to start running for office. Dude. If God calls them to do that, like, we need to, we need, as Christians, because Based. there is still... I don't know what the statistics are in Massachusetts. You could look it up in terms of Christian population, but there's a good enough population of Christians that if we all voted in a certain way, it would it would have lasting effects on, on the elections. So like what we need to do is we need to require politicians to be moral. We're gonna say we say, No, as Republicans or as whatever, as conservatives, we're not gonna vote for you if you've cheated on your wife. Yeah. We're not going to vote for you if you're a drunk. We're not going to put you in a position of power. That's a big, a big thing you uh, you asked about Massachusetts specifically, and uh, I think that's one real practical way is that we can put genuine Christian, God fearing men or women <laughs> in in political positions, and I think that that's you're not going to. Why would you expect for a uh, a religious, relatively sort of moral, you know, they're they're moral, but you know they cheat on their wife. In every other area, they're moral, so we'll throw them into office. Yeah. Like I don't think that that's how we're going to bring lasting change. I think we need men of principle who are going to tell us, listen, what you guys want as a people is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. I can't vote for this. Yeah, and a man that's going to choose his principle. Over his political office and not see it, and he's going to be out in maybe two years because we vote him out because we're not people of principle. Yeah. So what we need to do is we need to hold our politicians to a higher standard. You see this in the Massachusetts state constitution, um, where I'm going to get it out, but it it talks about how requirements for it's not like a, a law, but it's things that people should look out for and should look for and require of their. Because uh, they're people that they vote for, they're representatives. So I'm gonna look for that. If you wanna yeah. comment on that, um, I actually have I have some of the stats of a Pew Research study about Christians in Massachusetts. I think 14 percent of 18 through 29 year olds are Christians. I, I guess how many? What percent? 14 percent. 14 percent. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't think it was that bad. No, fourteen percent in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, yeah. Okay. Thirty-one percent of thirty to forty-nine year olds identify as Christian. That's in Massachusetts. better. Thirty-four percent 
identify as Christians. But the thing is, that's... From, in the, the age range is 50 to 64, and then 21%, which is it's weird that it goes down yeah. as you get, get older, but 65 and up is 21%. They just get wiser and smarter and realize there's no God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um... But the thing is, that's still enough. Like, even 14% is a significant... I mean, it's not nothing. Yeah. If those 14% were staunch and said, I'm not voting for someone immoral, it would probably require Republicans to put moral people in office. Because if you don't have that 14% that are just going to either not vote or vote for an independent, you're not going to win any elections at all. Yeah. Um, so I think that I'm more of on the, on the side of... Um, I, don't, I really don't like compromise. I really hate the way America, as we've compromised our way out of morality and compromised our way in the name of slight political gain. I don't know if that's what you necessarily believe when you when you say that um, we need to like focus on certain things and, and not focus on other things. Because um, I don't know, is it you? Some conservatives say we shouldn't even run on the on the abortion issue yes. because it's not going to win elections. Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. A lot of conservatives say. Yeah. Was that something that you would say? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I, I would have to. I would never, if I were running for office. I would never refuse to shout, uh, boldly declare my pro-life beliefs. Um, but at the same time, politics is its business. And if you say certain things, you're going to get less votes. So, But do you think that we should say those things regardless of how many votes we're going to get? Because we're men of principle. I mean, we're not lying. And, but we, and I would also... I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like... If I were running, I, I would want to, I would definitely say my pro-life beliefs. It probably would. I don't plan on running for office anytime <laughs> soon. So. Well, once we're both 30, we can run for senator in Massachusetts, and we can take over. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, okay, governor, lieutenant governor? We could do that at we any could do time. That. We could do that at any time. We could do that and then, yeah, because would you even want to be a senator? Would you even want to live so in D.C.? Lame. No. No, it's kind of lame. It's kind of lame. We can, Honestly, have, yeah. we can make it we, we need to make DC go back where you only meet like once one month out of a year. Yeah, what we need to do is burn down <laughs> We don't need to burn figuratively burn down the buildings in DC, okay? But no Figuratively. This, this is another oh, we're going down rabbit holes now. We're 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 officially at that point of the podcast. Um originally Washington DC was never meant to have people ever living there. It was specifically only meant for government buildings. I think it was either the state of Virginia or the state of Maryland gave up a certain amount of however many miles or acres or whatever it may be to Washington, D.C. for government buildings. It was never, ever intended for it to be people Look, living there. Yeah. It was, they were meant to go be there, meet a few times a year, and leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because they, they viewed it, the more time we're here, the more time we're going to come up with stupid laws. Yeah, well, wasn't it like a swamp? I, I heard it was a swamp. Like a literal, like that's why people didn't want to be there. Because well, it, it is was, now. It was disgusting. Well, <laughs> in its literal sense, it was a miserable place to be, and they and they and they purposefully made they gave up that land. So, but they didn't foresee uh, AC as being a thing. Was that they didn't foresee like air conditioning as being oh, a thing? So yeah, people hey. can live there year round now. But I'm looking. I'm still looking at this study. I think this is pretty interesting. Okay, marital status. Can we trust Pew? I don't. I know he's not. <laughs> no, Marital status among Christians who are in Massachusetts, dude. Forty per forty seven percent of Christians in Massachusetts are married. 
How many percent? 47. Percent of Christians? Yeah. In Massachusetts are married. Come on, guys, get married. What the heck? Come get on. Get married. What are you guys doing? What are you doing? Have dude? 10 kids. Have 10 I'll breed the left. Well, okay, so neither of us are married, so we got to be a little bit careful. I'm getting married next okay, year. Okay, you're getting married next year. Um, I'm not married. I'm not going to tell. But I'm these def- are 47. How many percentage of these people are like 40 years old I know. and not married? I know. You got to God. Do you, so let's give them a little bit of grace. Do you think that's because they feel that they can't find a, a wife or a husband who's moral? Or do you think that's because they just don't want to I think they're not married? becoming the people they need to be. I believe mm-hmm. if, I believe, okay, the, the biblical view of finding a spouse is that you forget about finding a spouse. That's how you do it. You don't go looking for a spouse. When God said it is not good for man to be alone, God said it was not good for man to be alone, not Adam saying I'm lonely and I need someone to make me feel better about myself. Adam was chilling. Adam was feeling great in the garden. He was naming the animals. He was eating the the fruit he was allowed to eat. He he was chilling. He was having a grand old time. And God came along and said, said, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm -hmm. And look, Adam wasn't saying no. So God knew (laughs) what was best for him. Who would say no? So just become the person you you need to be. Become sanctified, and as you as you are sanctified, God will bring someone along if that is His will for you. Yeah, and I think that's that's an issue too that we have of when you have a wife and a husband in their old age, they can they can take care of each other. And now you have eighty year old cat ladies. If you're an eighty year old cat lady, we love you. Uh, listening to this podcast, we love you, and we'll come over for dinner sometime. And if you want to have two young handsome men come over? <laughs> um, we won't marry you, but. We'll have a good time. And we'll, we'll talk about 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 what we're talking about, but um, I do think we'll that make it, you dinner. We'll make you dinner. We'll, we'll have we'll have a great time. We'll but clean your house. We'll clean. Mm, well, if we have wives, then we they can have the wives. Clean the house. <laughs> They'd be better at it. Women it's are better true. at cleaning. This is what I'm saying. I'm not degrading women. I'm saying women are. Oh, there's a, we have a woman in the room. We have we have a woman in the room. She's Bella. saying women are better at cleaning. Yeah, she's nodding her head. She's nodding her head. We don't allow her to speak. (laughs) (laughs) She can speak. Yell so that they know you can speak. Ah. Okay, you heard her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Where were we? (laughs) No, but I do think that that is like the government has to take care of, of these women and take care of these men who can't take care of themselves because we've lost that most basic union that cultivates that. And they and the white the what it was in every culture throughout history was the men and women had a bunch of kids and the kids took care of them in their old age. And all throughout history, men and women had kids. Okay. Those kids then took care of their parents when they were in their old age. Okay. We've lost that. The yes. kids move out, True. they move across the country, they move wherever, they move in with their wife and they forget about their parents. We've lost that that most. And then they get put into a nursing home. They get put into a nursing home or on social security. Yeah. And um, so I think that that's one of the biggest the things of of government control is they're having to take care of these people because they don't have a family to take care of them. Yeah. And at the, and that's another issue we can if we want to bring it to the whole level is the church isn't taking care of those people either. The church isn't taking care of the widows and the poor, mm-hmm. which is the most basic form of. Worshiping God is taking care of your neighbor. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's 
we're we're deep down the rabbit hole now. <laughs> but um, if you want to read some more of the statistics, well, I find what I'm looking for. Okay, all right. So I said 14% of 18 through 29. Those are the statistics that I care about. 14% of 18 to 29-year-olds identify as Christian. Now, 42% of educated Christians are who are involved in education, whether it be college or school, are in high school or less or younger. So, and 42, it goes and it's 42%. So, um, the, this is the educational distribution among Christians in Massachusetts. All these statistics are in Massachusetts. Okay. So, I don't have to keep repeating that. Um <laughs> Educational distributions among the Christians is 42 out of all the people, whether they're in college or younger, 42% of those Christian educated people are in high school or younger grades. Okay. And as it goes as into they get... college, it goes down. So 28%, 17 13% for like postgraduate degrees mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So it goes down the further you go through college. Mind-blowing. Also... In college, colleges are absolutely insane in Massachusetts. Do you think that's just some coincidence? Do you think it's coincidence, or do you think it's it's orchestrated? I don't think. Okay, I think it. I think there's a third option. Okay. Orchestrated by the devil. I don't think <laughs> yeah. that there is one person at the top pulling all of the strings. I'm not. Of the, I'm not of that belief that that there is a there is a group of people that we do not know exist who run the world. Maybe. I don't know. I really don't know. I think people are just out for their own. Uh, most of the time, people are out trying to live the most comfortable life, comfortable life that they can, and don't and aren't really concerned about how it affects other people. Mm-hmm. But the devil is using those people for his evil purposes. So yeah, there's someone pulling the strings. His name is Satan, and he is running. He the is devil the, is real. He is the prince of the power of the air. The devil is real, dude. You. The devil is real, of course. Did you know there's statistics? Look up that statistic on uh, Christians. Uh, what percentage of Christians don't believe in the devil? Because it's yeah. a, it's it's wild. But I do. I agree. I think that um, ultimately the Bible says that we battle not against flesh and blood. We battle against uh, spiritual powers and principalities in the heavenly places. And I think that you look at the the majority beliefs that are taught in colleges. What are they? Evolution, Marxism, atheism, atheism, the belief of like. Human intelligence, above all things, is what's going to solve the world. Humanism, yeah. secular humanism. And you look at that and no wonder why you teach someone that they're made of stardust and that they're <laughs> molecules bumping against molecules. And no wonder why they're not going to believe in God. No wonder why they're going to come out of college saying, Mom and Dad, what you, what you taught me is, is BS. I don't, I don't believe that, you know, God actually created the earth. I believe that, uh, uh, wait, what do I believe? <laughs> Um, no, not to mock them, but I, I think that, um, it's, it's scary how we as Christians are okay with just sending our kids off to college to get taught by who, like, do we really look into who's teaching our kids and what ideas they're being taught in school and why do we trust their faith so much to know what is truth and be able to discern? I think it's a disgrace the way we just throw our kids into college and assume that they're going to come out. On the other side, I agree. as Christians. Yeah, I don't believe in college as an institution anymore. Higher learning, I believe in the idea of higher learning that you can go on and better your mind. But I do not believe in our current state of the college system. I don't believe it helps. It does more harm than good. We've got to do a whole podcast on the... We really on the, do. The college industrial complex. The college industrial 
complex. The college yeah. Satan Why complex. is it that after the the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel, why is it that 31 student organizations in within Harvard University, not too far from here, why is it that they are supporting uh, Palestine, uh, Hamas? Why is I, it that they're waving honestly, Palestinian it's, flags? It's a good question that I don't know the answer to because what are they learning? Like, what are these professors teaching them that they're they're all out? So, like, it's one thing to to say that Israel might not be exactly the angel that some portray them to be. It's one thing to say that, um, you know, Israel is is doing things wrong with the way they've treated the Palestinians. But it's a whole another thing to go out there and waving Palestinian flags and saying death to Israel, which is some of them have chanted in the streets. So to make that jump, there's got to be something going on. And I don't know exactly what it is, but um, I mean, you have, I mean, not that you have people probably from Palestine in the universities that are, I don't know if they have leadership positions or, or what it is. It's a good question that we should probably look into. We should probably go and interview some some professors and interview some Christians at those colleges and, and see what they're actually being taught. And another question that I have is, this could also be part of it, is that do you think it's just a trend to support Palestine? I think it's it's largely a trend. You see people posting on their social media flags. They say, oh, they're posting their flag. I'm going to post my flag too of Palestine. See, I don't know about that because it's it's become a faction within the Democrat Party because there are a lot of, squad. of wealthy... Um, you've got, I'll say in the House of Representatives, you've got a, a faction of Democrats, the AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Elon Omar. They call themselves the squad, right? Do they? That's, that's, that's kind of funny. That's, that's not even why it's a little humorous. Um, why do you think that's funny? Because it's, it's a bunch of insane, just out of their mind, like millennials. Yeah. Like, we're the squad. It's just little, It's like, it's not ha-ha funny, but like cringe funny. It's, yeah. It's like laugh at you <laughs> Yeah, kind it's of laugh funny. at you kind of funny. We're not laughing with them. <laughs> no, Do they no. laugh? I don't know if I've ever seen them laugh. Dude, they probably have little witch cackles. Do you think that they have... Little warts on their noses? Do you think that they have altars in the room when they sacrifice to certain... <laughs> We're not gonna. Well, that's a topic for another day. Let's focus on. Let's focus. <laughs> no, 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 no. We are not. We are not giving up. It. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I wonder if how many of these people. There's got to be some that know that are well. Okay, first of all, AOC claims to be a Christian. No, she does. Brie Larson claims to be a Christian. I don't know who that is. She played Captain Marvel. Oh no! Heck no! <laughs> Instant no. Ex- um, no. Too feminist. Too feminist. Too feminist. Um. I don't know, like, how, it's, the question is, is, like, how sinister are some of these people? Are they just ignorant to God, and they're, are they just kind of, like, they just don't believe? Or is it, do they, are they pagan? Are they actually pagan? Do they actually have altars? Because you look at some of these women that, that abort their babies, they literally made abortion altars to, it's sick. to the gods. It's absolutely sick. So, um, I wonder how some of these people, if I'm about to go full-blown conspiracy mode, if they, there are factions of them that are are believing that they're serving, because yeah. I mean you're seeing in Massachusetts you had the Satan convention, yeah, Satan con people, and I wonder how many politicians there's got there's bound to be some there if it's a large movement. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean I do know witch talk is a hashtag on TikTok. Oh and really? It, it has billions and billions and billions of views. Hmm. Wow. Like a lot of yeah. views. 
How that, many billion people are in the world? Like seven and a half billion? At least it's eight. more than the population. Yeah. Like, it's more than the population. We gotta be at 10 billion. We gotta have more kids, guys. Let's go. Have more kids. Dude, we have an underpopulation problem. We do. We do. We do. Um, anyway. <laughs> but we're, we were on the topic of whether people in Congress uh, have altars to... Okay. Or, <laughs> to, ...to bail. Um, I don't know. I would guess that some of them do. If I had to... Just a wild guess. I'm not making any claims. Don't sue me or anything. You can cancel me, but don't sue me. <laughs> Actually, don't cancel me. I want money from this podcast. Um, I do think that uh, AOC, um, if you're watching this, we'll have you on the podcast. I would love to have AOC on the podcast. I would love. Let's talk to Dude, about. that would be so fun. Imagine being best buds with AOC. Listen, crazier things have happened. God is God. I believe AOC. Come on the podcast. We'll talk about Christianity. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. We'll talk about the Green New Deal and how great of a document that that is. We'll talk about how you almost died at the Capitol on January 6th. I know. We <laughs> want to talk about this. We, we don't, you don't want to. We're not being condescending. We're not no, being sarcastic. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but AOC, we would, we would have you on the podcast. We would have a good conversation. and But we would debate you. Like, of I'm course. Not, I mean, if you're willing for a debate... If you're not soft, come on the podcast. We're calling you out, AOC, right now. Ben Shapiro uh, asked, uh, challenged AOC to debate, and she on Twitter, and she was like, "Oh, he's flirting with me." And Ben Shapiro was like, "Oh no, I have a wife and three kids. I'm good." But if he didn't have a wife and three kids, he was. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, we'll, we'll have her on the podcast. Um, she'll be on, I believe. Yeah, she'll be on. Tell tell me about the history of the the church's relationship with the colonial state before the founding well if you look at it the um i've got to bring it up but every single um member of the constitutional convention was a part of a christian denomination people like to say oh benjamin franklin was a deist oh these people were were deists but they all had a biblical worldview and they all actually like benjamin franklin attended george Whit- george whitfield's sermon revivals even mm-hmm. though he wasn't a Christian and didn't believe in, in Jesus. He, he was like, this guy is so intelligent, is so smart. Like, I might just, I'm just, he, he would literally, imagine that in a world where we have atheists going to church services. <laughs> just and just fun. so, just for fun, because of how fiery, yeah. um, bring back fiery churches. No more Honestly. boring churches. No more but boring churches. To my point, major- everyone in the Constitutional Convention was basically a Christian. Yeah. I have the um, the statistics here somewhere. I'm gonna I'm gonna find it once I get to you and I'm finishing my point. Um, so they all you because you asked me how what was the church's relation to colonial government? Yeah. Do you think that they their Christianity was exempt in their belief about government? No. Benjamin Franklin, the supposed deist, he he was a deist. He called for prayer at the Constitutional Convention. He said, if we're making this document and we don't consult the God of the universe, all of our, this, our nation won't stand, basically, to, par- mm. to paraphrase. The deist. So the church was very much involved, and you had people like Jonathan Edwards, people like George Whitfield. they would do things called election sermons. Yep huge hour hours long sermons about political issues in during the time hmm. and marking out 
we got to read through one of them on the podcast at one time to really get into the, the nerds. If you're a nerd, if you're a political nerd, let's go. You're in the right place. Um, but pastors who believed in the influence of politics and believed that it was important for them to speak on it. So that had a great, you, I mean, the majority of people were in church then. So they were hearing what their pastor was saying, and that was certainly playing out in the way that they voted. So the church was heavily, heavily involved in the colonial governments. And um, you even look at people such as uh, John Wise. He was a pastor in the 1600s. He encouraged people, encouraged Christians to be involved politically and encouraged men in the churches to stand up against tyranny. Because tyranny is, is the antithesis to God's government, which is self-government, liberty, and freedom. So to answer your question... The church had a huge, the biggest role out of any institution, out of any belief system in the formation of colonial governments, in the formation of our constitution, and in the, the nitty-gritty details of the government. Like you look at the Puritans. The Puritans are another example of the way they probably did it towards more the extreme end of, of the theocracy line, but they were very based. Um, <laughs> super based. Super based. Puritans were super based. We'll get into them to too. the point where Roger Williams broke off the ba- and you know started the Baptist denomination. Yes, but they were so involved politically, and they were so believed the importance of of local local government, which is what the founders envisioned. In that, God works from the heart up, the social the nation, the nation should work from the local governments up to the national. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a story speaking on the. Uh, <clears throat> how the pastor because you said election day sermons that made that that got me thinking about the um a group of people known as the black robed regiment have you heard of these i have not okay so these are preachers who in the colonial times who fought in the revolutionary war so there was this guy i heard this story from an amazing story his a christian historian his name is bill federer uh but i, I looked it up because i wanted to clarify so i'm going to uh this was Sunday Sunday morning, he was preaching. This this pastor named John Muhlenberg climbed into his pulpit. He was at Woodstock, Virginia. He was about to preach. It was it was Sunday morning, Jan, uh, January twenty first, seventeen seventy six. He is in his black clerical robe. He's about to preach, and I'm, I'm going to read. And he, and he and he preached that morning from a passage in Ecclesiastes where there is a time for war, there is a time for peace, there is a time for all things. Um, a time to preach and to pray, which so good. And then he said, "But there is also a time to fight, and that time has now come." That's oh, an exact quote from a pastor. From a pastor, I'm going to read that again. There is a time for war and a time for peace. There is a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to pray. But there is also a time to fight, and that time, then that time has now come. Yeah. And then, in front of his entire congregation. He threw off his black clerical robe, revealing a colonial uniform. What a guy. What a freaking G. Wow. He threw off his pastoral clerical robe, and he was wearing his army uniform. And in front of that, he called yeah, that's a good point. He called on all of the men of his congregation and said, Who will join me in the fight for liberty? Oh. 300 men stood up, kissed their wives and children's goodbye, and walked out with them at that moment. What a story. And they and they became the 8th Virginia Regiment. 
in mm-hmm. the in George Washington. Yeah, and that's how it was. You see a, a lot of. Uh, that's one of the things about these leaders and these, these pastors is they were in there in the fire with their people. Like you look at some people have said there's a. Uh, all right, hold on. I want to standpoint. Pastors they would fight, they would lead militias against yep. the revolution, the um, the Great Britain and Revolutionary War, and because um, they believed that if they were calling for something, that they should act it out themselves, and that they should be an example and be a leader. Yeah, because that's who men are supposed to be. Yeah, and um, that was actually an interesting thing too. Is this was a huge debate. The churches. The pastors, there was different beliefs. Some of them believed that it was unjust. There was more. They were more pacifists. Believed that we shouldn't fight back. That we should turn the other cheek. Then there was debates about what that actually meant. But that was the big thing: is they had these debates. The debates about the Revolutionary War were primarily in the churches. Hmm. And you actually had like town meetings would often be in churches. Yeah. And you would have candidate forums. We actually have one in Plymouth. Um, candidate forms where the candidates come and in front of a church defend their beliefs. So you would have the church was the center of politics. Political events were held at churches. They were known as meeting houses. They were known as meeting houses. That's why if you live in New England or you've ever driven through here, you see all of these you know, white steeple churches everywhere. Those were meeting houses. Right. That's where everything happened. That's where kids went to school. That's where Sunday morning uh, services were held. That's where political, that's where local towns, town, uh, meetings. town meetings would occur. Like this, the meeting house was the focal point of the community. Yeah. And, oh, dude, it's. It's so, yeah. Good that's stuff. Dude. That's the thing. The, the, I like that you brought that up. The, uh, good stuff. There was so many, the debates, that's why. You can't, people uh, who like to say that America is not a Christian nation or wasn't founded as a Christian nation. Dead wrong. It's wrong. Dead wrong. Yeah. It's a revisionist history. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's the 1619 Project level because <laughs> there are a lot of Republicans who say, oh, they were just a bunch of deists. They didn't actually believe in Well, look at this. Jesus. I've got the, I, I found the document that I was looking for. All right. Sweet. Out of the Constitutional Convention, 27 of them were Episcopalian. 10 of them were Presbyterian. Six of them were Congregationalists, three of them were Quakers, two of them were Dutch Reformed, two of them were Methodist, two of them were Catholic, two of them were Deist, and one was the Lutheran. I don't know who it was, but one, the lone Lutheran out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so only two of them out of the, whatever it is, 50, you don't see atheists. They were all, these people all attended church regularly. Yeah. By the way, I got this from the, uh, I should probably cite my sources. Um, this is from the Plymouth Rock Foundation. It's a, a thing in Plymouth that's run by my pastor, actually, Pastor Jaley of New Testament Church. And, uh, it's from a book, A Worthy Company by M. E. Bradford. Whoever that guy is, shout out to you for these statistics. Um, but that's so interesting. You can't say that they were all deists. No. It's just false. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's so interesting. Why is it that the, why is it that the people, even Republicans, want to say want to take Jesus out of the history? That's a good. I don't know. Like what? History. What is their agenda? Yeah. What is that's a good. What question. do they gain? What do they gain? They gain. Well, I think a lot of them are there. You look at these career politicians. They are lining their pockets. They're getting power. They're they're greedy. They're power hungry. They don't fear God. They don't have morals. They cheat on their wives. They have debt. They aren't good moral people 
I'm calling y'all out, whoever you are. I won't call you out by name. But um, I'm immoral too, so relax. Um, they're not. They don't, don't leave me out. Don't leave Steve. me out. I'm immoral too. But they don't. There's a reason why they don't want to preach against it, or they don't want to. They don't want to acknowledge the history of Jesus because they don't want to acknowledge Jesus in their own lives. Because they know if they appeal to history and say, "Look at what Jesus did," they're going to have to account for why they're not obeying Jesus now. Yeah. So they have no leg to stand on. I think that that's. A big, a big, and again, I go back to the point where we need to, as Christians, require our politicians to be immoral. This is one of the biggest reasons why I have a hard time supporting Trump. I used to love Trump, BC, before I was a Christian, and I think that he is still. I will probably vote for him in twenty twenty four if it's a him and Biden rematch. But we shouldn't do this thing. This is one of the things that I, I think is where we have common ground. Most people don't want a Biden-Trump rematch. Statistics show. Pull that up. Bella, pull that up. <laughs> we got to find those statistics. But I think that um, I think that we should be done with choosing between a lesser of two evils. We should, we should hold up legit moral people, which is why I love, for now, we'll see. Um, Mike Johnson seems like such a legit stand-up moral Christian guy. Oh, yeah. Um, but like Trump, he's had three wives. He's cheated on his wife. He's Stormy Daniels. These things. <laughs> I won't get into that. You guys know what Stormy Daniels means. Um, I don't think that we should look to someone who's immoral. And obviously he can do things politically that are good. But that shouldn't be our standard. We should try and be trying to uphold moral moral guys up there. I disagree. I don't th- I think the election was stolen from Trump. So I think there are a lot more people in America who actually would do, who want Trump to have another opportunity. But I, I understand. I think, I think those statistics are true. Uh, but I, I think, think we're just sick of having to choose from the luster of two evils. I don't I think, think that's You don't why. think people are sick of that? No, because most people also have cheated on their wives. <laughs> Not most people, but like most people like our leaders reflect our own poor choices. Like we were, like, our leaders reflect the state of our... Like, Mike Pence said something in the first Republican debate. where he's like, yeah. we, we, just need a government. we need a government as good as our people. You know, we just need a government as good Woo! as our people. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing um, line that your, your staffers made up. And no, like, it's not true. The government reflects the people. Our, our government is having a crisis because our people are having a crisis. Right. So I do not think that the people are... Um, all that concerned about Trump's personal life. But Those I'm who should, like him. My thing is we should be. Okay. As Christians, but we should be. He's not our pastor. He's our president. Okay. But my point is, is that we should have moral people in government because moral people are, are going to stand on principles and not be wavering. And people who, who at least, I mean, you can, if you're, it's one thing to, to say, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. But it's another thing to say, I'm a sinner and I'm not repentant of it. Trump isn't repentant of, of anything. And I think that when we have people like that in office, you're missing something and you're, you're breeding grounds for, for tyranny. It's a breeding ground for tyranny when you have people who don't fear God. Suspend the Constitution, make Trump king. <laughs> this is not to say, I don't, our base is probably mostly conservative, so relax, y'all. I'm... Voting for Trump in 2024. Yeah, me too. A thousand but percent. But I think that 
we as conservatives need to put up people who are who are moral and have moral because this is the the one thing that the people you go back to like in history you had these men who were very moral like is it not close enough? No, you're good. I just Abraham Lincoln. He there were steps that he took that were he believed were, were moral goods. Like obviously slavery should have been abolished and should not be illegal, but the way he went about that was unconstitutional in, in some ways. And I can't say that I would have done better, but that was fine for him to do because he was a moral man and he wasn't going to usurp more power than he believed was given to him because he feared God. He believed that God instituted him into government. Or even like a, a Teddy Roosevelt, who I think people call him like the first progressive. Yep. And it was the same thing with him. He was moral, so he could get away with usurping some power and it not having these vast tyranny effects. But when you get someone who is immoral in the government, they're just going to take and take and take and take until either you vote them out or their eight-year term is up. And that's why you see people like Obama able to do such destruction and people like Biden who don't fear God. And um, I think that that's an issue. And I think that we need to have people because Christianity is the only thing that can bring self restraint, true self restraint and true self control or else we have no other reason. What else other reason do we have to restrain ourselves? Yeah, AKA self government, self government. Yeah. yeah. So I think that if um, we expect the government to respect our rights, we should have people that fear God, who is the foundation of our rights. Mm-hmm. I actually have more stories about other pastors. On the night of April 18th, 1775, we're going back to the Black Road, Black Road Regiment. We all know about, you know, Revere's ride, um, Paul Revere's ride. He was he was going through Lexington. I'm actually gonna I'm I'm reading this directly from the uh, ReclaimingAmericaForChrist.org. Um, this is by Dan Fisher. I'm just going to read this. I'm going to read this as a quote. On the night of April 18, 1775, as Paul Revere was making his famous ride through the Lexington, Massachusetts countryside, yelling, the British are coming, the British are coming, he was headed for a particular house, the house of Pastor Jonas Clark. Jonas Clark was a pastor in Lexington, and on Sunday afternoons after church, he and Deacon John Parker, a captain from the French-Indian War, had been organizing the Lexington men into a citizen army to fight the British if they invaded. On the night of April 18th, Clark had two special guests staying at his home, Samuel Adams and John Hancock. The British had heard of Adams and Hancock's whereabouts, and they were marching toward Lexington to capture them. As Revere rode up to the front yard of Clark's home, Clark, Adams, and Hancock ran out to meet him. When they heard that the British were marching toward Lexington, Adams and Hancock asked Pastor Clark, if the men of Lexington would fight. Clark responded, quote, I trained them for this very hour. They would fight and, if need be, die, too, under the shadow of the house of God. The next morning, April 19, 1775, Pastor Jonas Clark and Deacon John Parker led the Lexington Minutemen out to, the, to face the invaders. As the British approached the Minutemen, they cried out, In the name of the King of England, throw down your arms. This response ran out from the colonists. We recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Then Captain Parker said to his Minutemen, Stand your ground. Don't fire unless fired upon. But But if they mean to have war, let it begin here. The first shot rang out. The shot heard round the world. 
Dang. That, we've all heard the sh- about the shot heard around the world. But you don't hear. You don't hear the origins the of those. To God. The appeal to God. Yeah. And Jesus is king. Yeah. Why was that left out? Dude, there's so much rich history. There is. That's our, our country. There's a reason why they don't want you to know the true history. They. The they. Illuminati. They don't <laughs> want you to know the true history. They're, but who, it is it is true to an extent that the enemy doesn't want you to know the Christian history of America. And America has produced the most freedom, the most liberty, the most economic prosperity. It's been the best country. There's a reason why everyone still wants to come here, even with all the issues. And there's a reason why the, the enemy of our souls, the devil, does not want people to know the Christian history of America. Because if they knew that, they knew... They would know the fruit of Christianity, and if they knew the fruit of Christianity, they would probably know Christianity and know God and know Jesus, who can orchestrate these amazing thing, things through history. There's no way that the you, the colonists should have been able to beat Great Britain. No way. There's no way. The, they were the biggest government in the world. They they owned majority of the world. The biggest army. Biggest empire, biggest yeah. army. Uh, you love an underdog story, baby. Oh, it's so good. But there's no way they had their... Tom Brady? Underdog story. We should have Tom Brady in the podcast. Yeah, we should probably ask him about how his wife is a witch. (laughs) That would be good, too. Speaking of witchcraft, we got to have people on here talking about witchcraft. Um, Honestly, we could probably... I've seen some interviews with, like, former... um, uh, former witches and witches stuff, yeah. and, and stuff and Wiccans and, and people who could who are Christians now and could talk about that world and how it's actually really real. AOC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she's a Christian, totally. Yeah, but um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's amazing the way that that God really, if God is on your side, you look at you look at Israel, the battles that they were able to win because God was on their side, and it's just it's amazing. What was that just story? John man? Wise. Oh yeah, yeah. So John Wise, he was he was a pastor. He grew up in Massachusetts. Born in 1652 in Roxbury, he was very intelligent. He graduated from Harvard. He was also, he was a part of, um, like, an expedition to go explore somewhere in, in the woods. <laughs> I don't know the exact story, but he, um, he was a chaplain to a, an expedition. Sir William Phipps, who was, who was a, a, I'm not sure exactly who he was, but he was, a position, he was in a position of power in the, in the military. And this is, goes to my point of that leaders should be moral, and okay. our political leaders should be moral. And he says, Thus acting, he gained confidence and renown by his great personal bravery. His his use of, to paraphrase, his use of resource, because this guy used a really big word that <laughs> as a Gen Zer and as a, someone born in 2020, I was not born in 2020, <laughs> born in 2005, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce, um, and military skill, not less than by his devout, an indefatigable discharge of the more appropriate duties of his sacred office. So he was a pastor, but he was also a capable military man. And you see this thing where you have pastors now who are who are soft and will say, "Oh, I'm not gonna, I won't get out there and do any real work. You know, I'm just gonna sit in my office and just study." And you know, you guys, oh, you strong men, you go do that. And it's like, no, they were men. Pastors throughout history were strong men. I mean, you look at. Peter, if you're a Catholic, he was the first pope. Um, how strong of a man he was. How he was he was able to... I mean, he cut that dude's ear off. Savage, bro. I love the way the Chosen portrays Peter, by the way, as like this... He's like a jacked, oh, yeah. ripped dude. Do you think that's accurate? Probably. I think it's dude pretty was accurate. A, 
Peter was a stud. Stud oh, yeah. muffin. I honestly, he's kind of short in the show. Yeah. Like I feel like Peter would have would be would have I thought him would have thought of him as a lot bigger. But continue, John Wise. Yeah, Wise was a, a very he was very involved in uh, fighting back against the British and the things that they were doing even in that time, even in the 1670s, late late 1600s. He um, he wrote in uh, he would write letters to churches. You could call him uh, American Paul if you want. Ooh. He uh, he wrote that the purpose of his letters was to alarm the churches with the thought that their inherited liberties were in danger. This was in the 1670s, and they believed that their inherited liberties were in danger. Already? Yes. And to think how far we've come. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he said, to stigmatize these proposals as treasonable to the ancient polity, and to make the lay brethren feel that they had rights, and to incite them to stand up for those rights like men. So as there was there was people in Great Britain telling them that they didn't have these certain rights, I don't know exactly the context of um, what laws they were passing, but I'm sure that they were trying to restrict restrict their their governments that they had set up. Mm -hmm. um, and he was telling them that the lay brethren. So he was a pastor, and he was telling the average follower that no, you're not supposed to just sit back. So this was the, it was all the community that these guys had was yep. amazing. Now you have people who go into church and you don't even know the people in your church. You just go into church, you sit down, you get up, you worship, you sit down, and you walk out of the door right away. Yeah. We as churches, that's one thing I, I do too. I do the same thing where I sit on my phone at church and it's like, repent, buddy. <laughs> repent. For the um, kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it's like, and he said, stand up for those rights like men. As men should. Men should stand up for their rights. And this is the idea of like, we, we really, ugh, I don't know how to put it, we exegesis the, the actual meaning of turn the other cheek. Hmm. Um, I don't know, we've got to get into that, that statement too, turn the other cheek and what it really means. We'll get into that in okay. another episode probably. Yep. Some believe that, that Christians should just stand down and when we're persecuted, that we take it. And the thing is, no. We, we don't get persecuted by standing down. If we stand down, the persecution will stop. We're persecuted because we stand up for, for the, truth. the truth. Exactly. So if you're, if, you're, if you're not, if you're a Christian and your life is easy and your life is comfortable and no one ever questions you about your faith and no one ever asks you about it, you've got a problem. Yeah. You've got a problem. And if no one's trying to persecute you because Jesus said that... Those who hated me will hate you. In this world, you will have trials. Yes. Yeah. So, it's the same exact thing, and, and we we are persecuted because we stand up for truth. And I think that's such a good a good summary of it. Mm -hmm. And um, if we we stand down, we won't be persecuted. And if you want to stand down and lose all your rights, that's your prerogative. Yeah. But I don't. What What do you think about those Christians who say, "Well, it's like or those pastors"? I okay. I'm going to step back. I'm going to tell a little story, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So okay. um, I'm the president of Turning Point USA on Cape Cod. Hunter is my vice president. Turning Point is a, a student organization, uh, and we also have a Turning Point Faith chapter, which it's basically there. It's a community group. We, we, we help Gen Z. Our, our mission is to empower Gen Z uh, who are either or, you know, Christian and conservative to fight for the culture. And 
we had a we had a rally recently called Teens Against Gender Mutilation, where we hosted Chloe Cole, the transitioner. And how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> no, it wasn't wasn't Greta Thunberg. <laughs> um, so it was in June. Amazing success. Not not really the point, but we were addressing the topic of transgenderism. And the Bible speaks pretty strongly on one man, one woman, uh, the fact that you should protect children and not mutilate their bodies. Well, and the fact that and, um, male and female, he created them. Yeah, pretty so, yeah. pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. And I part of the preparation for the rally I was doing for like four months was going to pastors and asking them, hey, will you help us? We have... A young lady who's trying, she's, she's 18 years old, she's our age. We have a young lady who's trying to tell her story, who's trying to warn other parents what the education system and the medical, medical community did to her and how it could happen to them. And we're in Massachusetts, Boston Children's Hospital, the biggest children's hospital in the nation, was the first children's hospital to start performing gender affirming hysterectomies on minors. At the very least, some say, oh, they're not actually doing the surgeries. At the very least, they're doing social transitions and chemical transitions. Like, oh, they're not actually doing any, like, physical... Uh, uh, We've got to get the statistics on that and the sources because that's one thing that, not to cut you off from your story, but people like to say that it's like a hoax somehow that they're doing... I mean, no, no. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, saying that. Yeah, yeah, that's from their own words. They made a commercial. I posted it on my Instagram. They made a commercial talking about how they started doing gender-affirming hysterectomies, and they explained what it was. They explained what it was. So, okay, I say all that to say I went to pastors, and I some pastors were great. Pastor Jaley, he let me speak in front of New Testament Church. Incredible. I respect Pastor Jaley so much. We want to have him on the show. Um, but there were some pastors who blew me off, and they didn't. They either didn't respond or they didn't... Uh, they chose, you know, they didn't have the courage to actually say, no, thank you. Uh, they just, they, they redirected it or said, oh, I'm busy, we, I can't meet, mm. or something like that. Um, which I'm sorry, like, this is, you don't get a pass no. on this. We don't, you don't get a pass on children's bodies being mutilated by our medical community. And the fact that you refuse to speak up about it is telling. is telling about the church you're actually leading. Church, I put that in air quotes. Not because I it, honestly, you run it like a self help group, um, but what it just it just boggles my mind is we have so we live we yeah. are we are we are upholding a legacy of pastors in the for three hundred years. I've got another who fought for our liberty, and you call yourself a pastor and you live here, yet you are not willing to actually do the same things and stand up for the most basic truths, like don't cut children's genitals off. I know. Crazy thought. Yeah. We shouldn't do that. Crazy thought. Crazy thought. You you stand on the shoulders of giants and spit in their face, to, as Michael knows. How, that, that's how Michael knows puts oh, it. Oh, what a quote. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. And, oh my gosh, it just drives me nuts. There was there were a lot more pastors that actually did help. I mean, they deserve. And they deserve props. Yeah. Um, amazing. Yeah. Some did not. We need to look back at history. We don't, this is something, uh... I think Dave Ramsey says it like, you don't got to do stupid yourself. Look at other people stupid and learn from them kind of thing. I don't know if <laughs> yep. you've heard him say that. Something but like it, that. It's yeah. common sense. I mean, we can look at history and see the fruit of churches who sit back and stand down 
and do nothing and the way that culture overtakes them and the evil things that happen as a result. You look at slavery in America. There was churches, half the churches, half is an exaggeration probably. I don't know where the churches exactly were at. But there was churches, a good amount of churches in the South, that would not preach against slavery. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They actually supported slavery with the Bible. Because they knew that their, their most common members, the people that were donating the money, were plantation owners who supported slavery. Yeah. So you have this thing where there's all kinds of different motives and you get into greed and you get to these other things. But at the end of the day, if if imagine if the North and the North was wrong in a lot of ways about the way they went about it. But if the pastors of biblical churches who knew that chattel slavery was wrong, if they never stepped up and said anything about it, where would we we would still have slaves here today? And so I think that it's, it goes to the same point about how you have churches that if you're silent, your silence is violence. <laughs> but it's kind of true. It is kind of true. Yeah, it is there's a of grain true. of truth to that. There's statement. a grain. Of, there's the devil loves half truths. Half yeah. truth is a lie. But in that case, well, the devil doesn't create anything. He takes truths and twists and twists it exactly. Yeah. But it is partially true. Like if your churches are are sitting back, it's one thing to be on the opposite end and be supporting the wrong thing. But to do nothing is just indefensible. No. Same thing happened in Nazi Germany. Eric Metaxas wrote a book about this. It's called The Letter to the American Church. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how um, a third of the churches in Germany were against Hitler. They said, you can't just, these human beings have value. You, You can't say the things that you're saying. A third of them literally replace pictures of Jesus in their churches and place pictures of Hitler. They would have Bibles on the pulpit and they would replace the Bibles with Mein Kampf. Wow. Those churches completely... So now it's 33%. They were the complicit churches, yeah. No, the, well, those, were the, those weren't the complicit churches. Those were the, the enemy churches. The churches yeah, that complicit. That can, well, sure. That's what that word means. Oh, really? Yeah. Educate me on the word complicit. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. Let's have a word confused. study. But the churches that sat back and did nothing were the real difference, the cowards. Because if they actually stepped up and took a side, they would have had, the churches would have been able to potentially stop the things that Hitler was doing. Because Germany has a, a rich, like Martin Luther, the Reformation started in Germany. Yeah. And if those churches hadn't sat back and done nothing... They would have had a lot more ground to stand on and a lot more resistance to what Hitler was doing. Yeah. And you look at the slaughter of millions of Jews. Mm-hmm. And so that this is the result. And who knows where we're going to end up today if, we, if this trend continues. But that's the history you have to look at. You have, if churches sit back and don't speak on social issues, you have slavery. You have genocide. And like now, churches that won't speak on abortion, you've got genocide going on of in America unborn. of the unborn right now yeah Dietrich Bonhoeffer the leader of the resistance against Hitler he was a pastor theologian conspirator Eric Metaxas also wrote a biography a on him yeah I listened to it incredible it's like 21 hours it's ridiculous how long it is but um a question oh, by the way Eric Metaxas if you somehow oh, stumble upon this we would love to have you on the podcast 
Anyway, <laughs> we're just going to go after everyone that we bring up on the podcast. Anyway, AOC, Pastor Jerry, our, Eric Medex. If you want, currently, if you want our 50 viewers to see your view, <laughs> then come on. Oh, yeah. So, he, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was martyred for his faith and for his resistance against Hitler. He was hung. And the last thing he wrote was called Letters from Prison. And it was compiled after his death into all of his letters called Letters uh, from Prison. And one of the things that he wrote, he, he basically asked the question, what is a Christian's role? How does a Christian, he, it was almost like his life's question wrapped up in these last moments. It's just, it's beautiful. He, he basically asked, I'm paraphrasing, how does a Christian accurately reflect the nature of God in a godless world? How does a Christian reflect Jesus in a culture that hates him, that hates Christ, because that's what he was living in. And the conclusion that Bonhoeffer came to was not to become a, a recluse, was not to withdraw from society. What, however, but his, his response to that was to engage with the world so much that the only way you can survive is to throw yourselves com- com- yourself completely into the arms of God. Wow, so good. And and it causes you to have a living faith, an active faith. You don't fix the world by withdrawing and not saying anything. You become worldly in a way. Is the word he used? He, he used that provocative term. Christians are like, oh, worldly. We don't want. We, we don't want to be worldly. But he engaged with the world. He was a conspirator against Hitler. He tried to kill the leader of his government. He was fully in the world, doing arguably worldly things. But in so doing, he threw himself in, he threw himself into the arms of God. He became he he he, he submitted he, himself. He, he submitted himself unto death. You know, when Jesus said, "Those who live by the sword will die by the sword," it, he wasn't saying, "Don't live by the sword." It was just a proverb saying, hey, if you do this, you're probably going to die by the sword too. That's just how the world works. And that's what happened to Bonhoeffer. But he knew the consequences. He chose it anyways. He chose to live so fully in Christ that it has affected the rest of the world for generations. Well, what he did was was Germany had no other choice but to kill him. Yeah. Basically, is what it was. He was such a a threat. And that's what we are. As Christians, we're supposed to be a threat to the worldly system. We're supposed threat to, be to darkness. Threat to darkness. Because if... Let's get the verse out. <laughs> um, the light... The darkness cannot overcome the light. If the light shines upon darkness, how great is the light? How much... Let's get it out. Let's quote I'm, Jesus. I'm, let's I'm, quote I'm, Jesus right now. But, but basically, you get... The idea is that darkness literally cannot withstand in the light. It disappears. No. So... So if you want to be a threat, if you want to be a Christian and you want to change the world, be a light in your own life. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that that's we're going to have like Bonhoeffer and wherever you're placed, you can be a light and you have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to be the light. You can't just say, eh, I'm going to be a light today, but you know, my employees were mean to me yesterday, so I guess I can't be a light anymore. Oh it's like, no. Like you said, unto death. That's how how deep is your faith for Jesus? And we have to ask, it's very convicting just thinking of this and sitting here and talking about this, is 
the areas that I've caved to the devil because I'm afraid of the darkness in my own life. Yeah. Where I think that's the biggest thing is once we are submitted to God and once we're looking to attack the darkness in the world, we see those same things in ourselves. And it's like, wow. And we have to wrestle with that and deal with that. And it's comfortable to not. Yeah. But if we as Christians want to see real change in the world, we have to wrestle not only with the darkness in our culture, but the darkness that's within us because of our sinful nature. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're reading John chapter 1-5. through 5. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Has not. Has, has not, not overcome it. The light Amen. shines in the darkness. Do we, so the question is, is, do we believe Jesus? Do we believe that the light, if we're willing, if we're willing to be persistent enough, if we're willing to even give up our own life so that future generations can live and have life, we need to have that faith, that depth of faith, that we're willing to give up our own lives for the, the greater cause of Christ, because Christ is working throughout history. So are we going to sit here and we're going to think, oh, the life, once Hunter dies, that's it. I, my ministry is, is done. Because we can see this now. We're looking back. We're looking back at John Wise. We're looking back at Bonhoeffer. We're looking and, back at John Muhlenberg. And like you said, we're standing yeah. on those giants of the past. And that's not going to be forgotten. That's going to have an impact if we're going to see real cultural change. Those men, we rest upon those men, we rest upon the founders, we rest upon their history, we rest, rest upon the founders of our faith, the disciples, who literally all of them except for John, and even him was sent to an island, they all gave up their lives so that the faith could continue. Yeah. So are we willing to do that? I'm not, we shouldn't be chasing persecution, we shouldn't be chasing death, but we should be willing to give it up. We should be willing to give up the things that are necessary to see change in our lives and in the world. And I think that I see that in my own life. And I think that that's a big problem in the church is that we're not willing to do the work. Uh, Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. So we're not willing to do the work. We're afraid because we got some darkness in us that we're not willing to to deal with. I'll keep saying it. But uh, I think that it's huge if we really see the power of Jesus, and we look at, at history, and we see what God has done with with men that are otherwise weak and pitiful. Mm-hmm. There's a quote from uh, Paul Washer, and he says that there are no strong men of God. There are only weak, pitiful men that God raised up, <laughs> basically, is what it is. Yeah. There are only weak, pitiful, helpless men without God that laid themselves upon God, laid themselves upon Christ, and gave up all they had to give for what Christ had to give them. Hmm. Yeah. So, in New England, we are we understand. I say, Amelia, I'm a weak, pitiful man that I um, humbly ask God to raise up to help save my community. Amen. I'm sure you would say the same. Exactly. Now it's our job, and that's that's the reason. I, I that's my vision for this podcast. We want to let people know. Other young men and women. This is the gospel. This, this is the gospel. It's Let's do it. If this is the good news. We have sinned. We have rebelled against God. Paradise was lost by Adam and Eve's sin. 
We lost paradise, and through that we all have sin. But Jesus came, took the sin upon himself when he died on the cross, and he rose again from the dead, and now he's seated in glory at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus wants us to participate in that same life. And we do that by giving up all we have as he gave up his glory to come down and become a man and submit himself to the cross so that our sin could be paid for. And he's asking us that same power can live in us through the Holy Spirit if we submit ourselves and repent of our sin. So that's the thing is we can't sit here and look on our sin and feel sorry for ourselves. We can say, praise God, the good news is that Jesus rose and we can live in that same resurrection, that life that Jesus brings when you live for him. Mm-hmm. And that's the good, that's the best news that there is. We know as humans that there's a, there's a problem of sin, that we're imperfect, if you just look at the world. But Jesus is the answer. And that's what we want this podcast to be about, like you said. Jesus is the answer. Submitting yourself to him is the only way. You won't find yourself doing it by your own strength. You'll find it doing by leaning upon the strength of God.